first reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, and can be found on page 652 of the Blue Church Bible. Isaiah, chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will dis settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. then for our gospel reading, if you would like to stand, and the gospel reading is from the, the book of Matthew, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36, page 940. The day and hour unknown. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. God of love, open our hearts and minds to hear the message that you have for us this morning. Amen. Please sit down. Not long after I started curacy, 
I was contacted by the Archdeacon of Maidstone's office and told that he would be coming to see me in my actual house <laughs> for one of those how-are-you-getting-on conversations. So obviously, I attempted to give the impression that I had it all together domestically. I got some nice biscuits organised, and about half an hour before his arrival was madly vacuuming the hallway and about to tidy the lounge when he turned up early, really early. <laughs> well, I had to let him in. <laughs> and as he stepped over the vacuum cleaner in the hall, apologising for having arrived too soon and moved the pile of stuff on the sofa so that he could sit down, I had to own up. Don't worry, I said, I was just trying to pretend I'm much better at keeping the housework under control than I actually am. <laughs> and he laughed and we went on to actually have a very good meeting about the realities of trying to, um, you know, run a home and family and um, do ministry at the same time. Well, he wasn't quite Jesus, um, but he also wasn't quite that unnerving example that Jesus gives of the thief arriving in the night. But I was certainly caught on the hop and found out by the archdeacon. I had wanted to give him a good impression. So as we begin Advent and this time of looking forward in anticipation, we have a passage from Matthew that is all about expecting the unexpected a second coming reading, and we anticipate the first coming, which is Christmas, but hold in that tension with that the fact that Jesus will come again, the second coming. And I find it quite a disconcerting passage with the idea that normal life will be carrying on, people working, cooking, taking their children to school, doing the usual daily things side by side, just as they did in the time of Noah. But when the Lord returns, some will be taken and others left. Do notice, though, that Jesus doesn't actually say here what happens to those who are taken or those who are left. You can't actually tell from this reading who is fortunate. Taken might imply that those who are left are the fortunate ones. It's not clear whether the true followers of the faith are left behind or are the ones that go. Now, there was a lot of popular Christian fiction literature from America around the mid-90s and early 2000s, and in particular, the Left Behind series, some of you might know of. And it promoted the idea that the good guys, the true Christians, are the ones taken out of the picture and everyone else is left behind for the tribulation. And it's kind of made its way into popular evangelical Christian culture. It's actually an idea that began to circulate as late as the 19th century. But what does seem clear from scripture and from this passage in particular is the following. Firstly, that the day Jesus comes back will be experienced very differently by two people side by side, in the same activity, depending on business that is entirely between God and them. Secondly, we know that nobody will have advanced knowledge of when that day is, apart from God. Our translations of the Bible in English are generally quite clumsy around that passage, but the Greek 
of verse 36 carries the sense that it's basically not something that anybody other than God should attempt to put a date or a time on. That certain knowledge about what is uh, about it is not attainable to us and it's not desirable that we know it. One thing we do know, I suppose, is that it's closer today than it's ever been before. Thirdly, it seems to require vigilance from us in some way. In other words, we can't, like me and the archdeacon, do it by knowing the date and preparing just before it happens. There's something about not taking things for granted. There's something about the right way to wait. Advent is that kind of active waiting. I did an assembly last week at the Endowed School and we were talking about the word anticipation, linking that to Advent and talking about anticipation not being a kind of, you don't anticipate a bus really, do you? You kind of wait for a bus. But you anticipate Advent. I guess it depends how long you've been waiting for the bus, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but there's something about that active and positive and excitement, almost a nervousness in waiting sometimes that comes into anticipation. So it's not like the last-minute housework to impress the guest when he arrives. It's more like keeping your house in order, perhaps. Maybe when you're trying to sell it. You never know when the agent's going to suddenly want to bring people round to see it. Been in that position? But actually, that's an exhausting kind of waiting, isn't it? That's quite stressful. Constantly having to make it look like you live an ordered life and an uncluttered existence, maybe boxing up some of your stuff and hiding it in the garage so your house looks a bit bigger and a bit less cluttered and a bit more impressive. So it's a strain to do that and still eat, sleep and do normal family life, isn't it? So I wonder actually if that is the kind of waiting that we're called to, because that's about impressions, isn't it? Not what's really going on. So maybe, actually, it's about the reality of a life that's being lived out according to kingdom values all the time. It's not about appearances. It's not about pretend perfection. But it is about living in a way that leans on God daily, seeking day by day to live our lives in, the way that are in a way that is aligned to the priorities of the kingdom of God. Not in some state of perpetual anxiety and strain, but about knowing that whenever Jesus comes back, he's going to find us being about the business of the kingdom. I'm going to call Donald out on this because he lives like this. And I know there's others that do, that wake up thankful for the day that he's been given and asks God to lead him through the day that lies ahead. And I don't see a lot of stress around Donald. <laughs> I feel like the archdeacon now. <laughs> so God re reveals enough about the future to give us hope, but not enough to mean that we don't need to live by that faith and with those faith-filled lives. And it's not something we strive about. It's something that we invite the Holy Spirit to help and lead us in, to put that light in us so that we can take it into the murkier places in our own lives and in the lives of others. And we don't wait for a tidy and an ordered wor world to live it out in, because the world wasn't tidy when Jesus came. 
I'm going to read you to finish an Advent poem by Madeleine Longle, Lengel, I think, the American author who wrote the book A Wrinkle in Time in the 60s. And it's called Into the Darkest Hour. It was a time like this, war and tumult of war, a horror in the air. Hungry yawned the abyss, and yet there came the star and the child most wonderfully there. It was time like this, of fear and lust for power, license and greed and blight, and yet the prince of bliss came into the darkest hour in quiet and silent light. And in a time like this, how celebrate his birth when all things fall apart? Ah, wonderful it is, with no room on the earth, the stable is our heart. <laughs>